All right, and we are live with the 23rd episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter. I'm joined by my co-host, Seth Law. Seth, say hi. Hey, hey everybody, uh, at Seth Law on Twitter. Um, and as always, you can follow us at Absolute AppSec on Twitter as well, or find us at on iTunes or on the Google Play Store. So welcome once again thanks to the efforts of seth we're on a few different platforms so thank you seth for that uh we were out last week um it's the summer so this is going to definitely happen where we take a, occasionally a week off uh but we're back now we're back for about two months straight so it should be uh or i think we're i think we're skipping august 7th because it's black hat defcon but beyond that for a couple months we're week by week um what did did want to mentioned before we actually got into um got into the podcast uh we wanted to congratulate uh neil and justin so neil matadal and uh justin collins from uh breakman pro they were acquired by, by synopsis justin and neil have both been on the podcast I, by the way i'm pretty sure i'm i said neil's last name wrong again but my apologies, but yeah, congrats to you guys. Seth and I were like really super psyched to hear about that. So yeah, it was good to hear. I, I mean, Synopsys is doing a lot of cool work around static analysis, so it makes a lot of sense, right, for them to pick up Brakeman and Brakeman Pro. Um, it sounds like Justin's going to be joining their team full time, right, Ken? Yeah, he already joined, from what I understand. So as of uh, cool. I think as of this week. Nice. Nice. Well, it'll be interesting to talk to him again and see how that's going. Where he's, you know, built a tool outside and it gets acquired. It should be an interesting story of an application security tool, right? Yeah, I'll reach out to him uh, again to to, to you know, reach out to both of them um, to to see if they want to jump back on and talk about it. Um, so this is going to be a bit confusing. Uh, our guest tonight is Ken Toller. Ken, say hi. Hey, everyone. So we've got two Kens on the podcast uh, tonight. Ken uh, is it's weird for me to say. It's always weird when you're saying like when you're saying when you're talking about somebody else that has the same name, especially like Ken is not super common, so it's extra strange. But anyways, um, so Ken Toller, I've known Ken. We've known each other for about what like seven years now. I think about yeah, seven years, like that. Yeah, been quite a and, while. Yeah, quite a while. I mean, we first met working together at Living Social. Um, you, since then, you've done a number of great things. You've you've really built up your career, and that's part of what we want to talk about tonight. But um, yeah, you've done you've done quite a bit. Uh, you've bounced between AppSec, uh, NetSec. You've I feel like you're a pretty well rounded. Uh, and before doing security. Um, you actually had the background of understanding IT and actually doing everything from like networking to networking to help desk to whatever. So you did the full range of, I think, I feel like you've done the full range of IT. Um, so you've spoken at uh, LastCon. I know uh, you did a talk on Ruby metaprogramming flaws. That was an interesting one. Um, so uh, basically, you know, we wanted to have Toleron to discuss uh, his background, how he he's now a, a head of security at uh, OnDeck, 
And we uh, we wanted to have you on and talk about your journey and and how you got started and uh, you know what what your day to day challenges are working at um, you know working to secure uh, the company. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, man. I mean, for me, it was always yeah, like I mean, just starting in in it right uh, i think when i was in when i was in school it was always the idea of like you know where i wanted to go in terms of a career path and it was always there always an interest to me but i think a lot of it just came to figuring things out and breaking things and learning and constantly being you know, striving for that uh and that landed me uh through some sales and hardware and uh and whatever eventually landed me at, at a help desk position in living social where it was just kind of digging in uh, to all the aspects of IT to really figure out what I wanted to do with my career overall. Um, and that's where I met, uh, I guess, a lot of the people that influenced my career, yourself included, um, R2 and Matt and all those guys there. Uh, but even then, I still didn't know really what direction I, I wanted to go. Uh, I think the, the, the transition from IT to security happened uh, kind of naturally. You know, we were working through uh, antivirus installs on endpoints, right? And then R2 was like, hey, you want to dig into some security stuff? And uh, and it just kind of, you know, snowballed from there, digging into kind of all the things that were InfoSec and spending a lot of like, you know, 12 to 16 hour days on and off the clock, just, you know, digging into trying to figure out, you know, what I wanted to do with that. Um, I, I still kind of remember, you know, that deer in headlights feeling of, of not knowing anything. And I think I still get that. And I've just learned that that's just kind of the norm in the industry, you know, um, is to, to constantly be learning, constantly working towards that. Uh, and then after living social, um, it was just kind of, you know, how, how can I land on my own two feet and kind of start a career myself? And I just went independent for a while uh, and did some training and worked for uh, uh, Citrix for a while, just kind of doing some security operations stuff and continuing to pick up and, and train and learn and, and read books and then i and then i think the the most revealing thing for me was uh kind of making the transition over to application security i remember a conversation with you uh just sitting down uh and saying hey you want to do appsec i'm like well, you know i don't know anything about appsec you're like don't worry you'll learn read this book uh well locations <laughs> hand you know handbook and uh and hackers handbook and you read it back to front. So, I mean, that's exactly what I did. I, I put that the notice that I gave for that, for the previous job was like four weeks just so that I would have enough time to get through the book and train and do all that uh, and followed that advice. Um, and I did that for a while, got in the consulting game uh, and then moving to on deck out of that was just uh, in a kind of an opportunity to own uh, an AppSec program. Uh, and then over time, that ownership of the AppSec program grew into ownership of additional programs and additional responsibilities. And that's kind of what landed me where I'm at today. And, you know, I oversee uh, the security program, information security, application security and technology risk. So, you know, what's it like making that shift from a, probably a more, I mean, running a program is running a program, but, you know, for the, th that all sounds like to somebody who's listening, it might sound like, oh, he, that was a simple, that was a simple, I mean, that's a very condensed version of what happened. It took, like you had said, you, you did a lot of work. You did a lot of studying. You did a lot of um, consult, you did consulting. You did a lot of uh, stuff to 
get those experiences to have those to have that background to do the do all the assessments because we worked together at Invisium and you know you did a couple years of uh, I mean just assessment after assessment and um, guess what I'm saying is you basically had this big chunk that was a fairly I would describe a very technical sort of chunk of your security career and now you're doing more like program management essentially what's that feel like to do that shift how how's like what's different what what are the pros what are the cons i'm i am curious yeah no i mean it's it's really tough uh to to keep your technical head on straight you know i mean uh after go when you go when you're doing assessments assessment after assessment uh i think it's really easy and you know chris mentioned this when he was on it's easy to kind of take this really negative approach as to you know why aren't people doing this uh you know and fixing these uh problems and you kind of do this you, you get used to doing these assessments in two to three week time spans where uh, you generate a bunch of results you deliver that to uh, whoever stakeholders and you expect these things to be uh resolved or uh, worked on and you just kind of you know set it and forget it uh being on the other side of that is is really hard uh and it's a it's an interesting transition because there's so there are just as many there are so many factors that go into why particular decisions are made and uh it's it's shifting that focus of uh trying to you're shifting that focus a lot to try to understand like why the why behind everything that you're doing um and that there's it's, there's so many factors that go into that. There's budgets, there's compliance, there's you know executive overhead, there's um, you know partnerships and regulations and uh, regulations of your partners, you know, uh, to to work through. Um, and you start to to shift your mentality to how can I fix this in a way that solves all of these problems? And that's the that is the most difficult hurdle to get over. Um, you know, going from you know, working on this very small part of a program to the the entire program. So being sort of in a strategic versus tactical mindset and essentially applying fixes that are as systemic as possible kind of sounds like what you're what you're saying and then address like like if you can put in like this is I know I'm going to get whatever. I don't care what people think. Well, I'm just going to use this example. I'm not saying you should do this, but if you use like, for instance, a WAF and then you've got a box check uh and like let's say it's a good waff um so maybe some small smidgen of security added on but maybe you've met like partner requirements a, a compliance regulation again probably a bad example but you know it's the first one that popped in my head as like a box check kind of thing yeah but i mean i think that a lot of people think of uh you know checking the box and it's like this it's such a negative uh, connotation with checking the box. And I like to look at it as, you know, how can I check the box and, and make that work for me? Um, and so it, sometimes that's going beyond like that, that line item and, and figuring out, uh, how, how we can use that to increase the security posture and, uh, and, and basically sneaking other things in under the radar along with that. So if, uh, for example, you know, you have a key management compliance component that you need to meet, but you're not necessarily focused on that as an organization. Um, you can use that compliance checkbox to drive that and then, uh, you know, use it to roll out something that it, it, maybe your your other teams are trying to, to roll out, something that's innovative or, or you know, uh, sexy that people want to use. Um, and that's that game is a lot of what's, you know, what I try to play these days because that's... you... 
Yeah. No, no, that's interesting, right? I mean, it's almost like a skunk works security program that you're running to really secure things right. using compliances as, as the, you know, as the stick. I, I learned that pretty early on in my like consulting career, like going to do architectural reviews and design reviews specifically, is that you go and talk to the developers and you always pull that head developer aside and say, hey, what's the big problem here? And what do you need me to put in the report that you just don't have the ammo internally to do, right? Because if if a consultant, for some reason, right, the, the organizations tend to value a consultant's opinion over their own, right, or over their own employees. So if it comes from a consultant that, hey, guess what, you need key management, they're gonna look at that and say, all right, that gets put on the list in a higher priority than if someone internally comes and says, all right, we're gonna put that to our, in, into our backlog, right? Um, so, I mean, is that what you're saying? Is that's kind of how you're using compliance as you move yeah, forward? Exactly. And and you're you're playing the other side of that. You know, it's um, if you if you go in with the mentality of I just have to check this box, you end up with, a, you know, a lot of these a lot of tools and um, and fixes that are all just, you know, exactly what we all hate. Uh, just these little patches of things that we may or may not need. Um, and so if you kind of, if you take a step back and see like, what's the spirit of this compliance check or what's the motivation and how can we drive that forward? Um, you know, you, you determine what checks that box overall. Uh, and, and that, that is a, like a lesson you have to learn to, to move the program forward, finding out what's important to the organization. If compliance is very, very important, especially in the finance industry. Um, you're not going to be able to roll out something that doesn't meet that checkbox. So you might as well make it work for you. Interesting. So as head of, uh, head of security, you know, would it normally head of security, uh, like infrastructure network, uh, AppSec, um, sometimes physical falls under that as well. Um, but a lot of times it's, it's consists of, uh, you know, interacting with, um, like I, IT, legal, support, et cetera. So, I mean, that's the typical, I don't know if that's like what your role consists of, if those are the things you're responsible for securing. Um, does that sound at all? Yeah, no, I mean, we, so my organization is uh, technology specifically, technology risk, uh, application security and information security, incident response, things of that nature. Um, and some of the compliance components come into that, but we also, you know, there's also financial compliance and, uh, other components that don't necessarily fall under security. And, uh, as far as the physical piece, you know, we're more of consultants in that role. And I think that anytime you're looking at a program, you kind of have, uh, two, two or three ways you can come out of it. Either it's Greenfield, new company, you come in and you can kind of build out what you want and make suggestions and and see how people respond to you taking over these different areas of security, uh, or you're inheriting a bunch of stuff and, um, or uh, kind of having to meet um, requirements for a bunch of these different security uh, disciplines. Uh, so for me, it's understanding what you can influence and what you can control from the top down. Um, so for, for me, it's a very small, it's a small subset of what we can control from the top down and other components that we have to influence and develop relationships for. Uh, and I, I think that that is a, a, a part of your strategy is, a, is aligning with these with these other departments to ensure that, you know, from your perspective, you're controlling all aspects of security. Uh, but from, uh, you know, 
the organizational hierarchy or how you look at it from it with that approach is um, you're influencing some parts of that, uh, some parts of the business and you're controlling other parts. Do you work? I'm, I'm just curious. Um, do you work on site uh, or are you remote? Uh, both. Yeah. I mean, uh, it depends <laughs> on the day and what meetings are, uh, are going on um, today. Remote t-shirts. So, I mean, I, I know we've talked about this in the past. I mean, uh, and I know Evan Johnson has his opinions and everybody has the, would you, would you say, I mean, I would imagine as like, you know, head of security, a lot of people you have to interact with is like it, 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 is it beneficial to be on site to foster those relationships? Yeah, uh, it, it depends. So you can, it dep all depends on the culture of the company. In, in my opinion, some people respond really well to remote work. And if the culture of the company facilitates remote work, then, you know, then great, you, you can do it. But if you have uh, anyone in leadership that doesn't respond well to uh, remote interaction and you want that person to be on your side, you're going to have to talk to them on their level. Uh, and, and it kind of goes to uh, understanding why people make the decisions they do. And I think that that's a, an aspect of, you know, gaining that ground and, uh, and, and favor with folks that are going to be your, your allies and assets for any decision that's made from a security perspective. Uh, if you try to force your, your way into it, um, you're, you're bound to fail somewhere. I'm not saying you'll fail every time, but uh, there's going to be one person that's going to say, no, nah, like you have to come in or, or whatever. And I, that's also, you know, how you choose where you're going to work and if it's the right place for you. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, there, I think that there's, there's some value for sure for face to face. Um, and also, like you said, it just depends on the, the, I mean, I guess the culture plays a for like, it definitely plays a, a factor, but I mean, some people are just naturally, I think, I think all of us have known on this podcast and probably those watching people that don't come off super well in text. And, um, <laughs> there just are people like that, you know? And, um, yeah, but you always fix, fix that with a phone call. You know, you're like, oh man, I sound like a real asshole right now. Uh, maybe i'll just call instead yeah, yeah. <laughs> or maybe they sound like a real asshole <laughs> whatever yeah maybe i mean it's up to you whether you want to make that statement to the other party but <laughs> yeah I, I mean i mean video video seems to take care of some of that right and and audio definitely right like making a phone call or making a personal connection but i i don't know i like especially as i'm trying to establish relationships it, you know as an independent consultant with people like I find that initial interaction, you've got to build some sort of relationship with them. That's a lot harder to do that online than it is in person, right? Um, yeah. Once you've established it, it's very easy to go, you know, three months or even longer, just having normal interactions online or over the phone. But until you have some sort of a relationship and some sort of a working relationship, it's very difficult to establish that without in-person contact. Um, and I think that's where Evan gets off on his, you know, kind of high horse with the whole startup mentality, right? I guess I shouldn't say high horse. With we his, love you, Evan. <laughs> yeah. we, do, we totally love Evan, right? But, yeah. I, like, I understand where he's coming from, right? He's going to break Especially, it. Especially, like, know. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. No, There's I mean, a lot of back channel stuff that goes on that you don't necessarily get if you're only chatting in Slack, right? And, and that's the thing. If there's a big uh, presence on site 
So if you have a company that has a lot of people that come in on site, you're gonna you're bound to miss some stuff that happens organically inside of the office environment. If most of the workforce is remote, then it's probably not as likely. Uh, but you have the same problem with satellite offices. You know, you're just not gonna get the same uh, information if you're not around the the majority of the organization. So you have to make that effort. Uh, whether that's if it, if it's remote, then you're scheduling a lot of meetings. But if you make a couple of visits on site, you can achieve a lot that way. Yeah, I mean that's sort of one of my questions: is how do you how do you go about making sure that people give you the 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 information that you that you need like um we're rolling out some new feature or there's a new app coming online since we're since we're appsec we're you know we'll say a new app coming online but it could be like hey uh, uh we're doing something that uh changes the way we check the box for SOC 2 or something like that you know how do you get that relevant information how do you foster a, um foster that with your, your, the various teams you work with. I mean, and it, obviously it is very, like very much a thing where you rely on other people to kind of give you some of that information. Yeah, for sure. I think that that is all about, um, finding people that see things or can like, like get on the same page with you and, and how you feel about approaching security and the organization. So for me, it's always having somebody in each location that is kind of my eyes and ears for, uh, a variety of things or somebody in, you know, DevOps, somebody in IT, somebody in legal, someone in compliance, someone in internal risks, you know, find there's always, you can, you can, whether it's cars or whatever it might be, uh, opening a communication channel that allows you to uh, engage them frequently helps. Um, and so that takes time to develop those relationships. And, but once you once you have them those folks will come out to you and say hey you know we're we're sneaking this stuff through or we're trying to get this uh you know this new feature uh, out the door uh, do you know about it um and then you have your more official channels like uh security gates or approvals or change management process or or whatever that kind of is your last line of defense against that kind of thing um for for us, you know, having a change management process is is our exactly that our last line of defense against it. So if something gets all the way there, it still needs security approval to be pushed to production. Um, oh, so so like um, yeah, because that's one of the the things that's always a concern, right? Is like new AWS environments get spun up that you don't know about, or like like I said, a new app comes or new features, a new app comes online. And so you, so a change, so just to going, going back to that. So there's a change management process for like new things coming online, or if something wants to be pushed into production and it has to go through that, like pro basically everything has to go through that process. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. To get to that, to get that, to get to that environment. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and also we have really good friends in DevOps that help us out with those, uh, those new, those like ad hoc things that pop up here and there. So usually we have a, like we have some contact in every department that is, you know, we have some rapport with that allows us to, to handle some of that stuff. Uh, but when it goes into those sensitive environments, like there's a, there's a very specific process for that. Do you incentivize, um, I mean, I, I've, you know, I've seen where people are incentivized to sort of, uh, you know, hey, I caught this or, you know, I, you know, I don't know if you incentivize people if, if they see something, they say something kind of deal or 
if it's just sort of like that's the culture like we because yeah, i know some companies are i mean very much you know like everybody cares a lot so if i mean it doesn't you don't need to be incentivized like if you see something you're definitely going to say something to security and yeah. do something uh we don't we don't have a formal like incentive program um other than kind of like uh internal thanks so, you know if, if folks do that then we definitely recognize them uh yeah either in you know the internal intranet or uh or go through that process but it's interesting you should mention that i think on, so in one of the contracts uh i was working on previously i mean i went through a, a huge effort to try to like you know gamify the whole bug hunting program created badges and like learned photoshop and went through this whole process of doing that and it just didn't take off so i, I think that that also is a is a cultural thing like do people respond to incentives or not and you know do you have a budget to provide like the right incentive is it money or just reputation uh so i think that more importantly is the is that is that relationship it's for me it's more valuable to have that one person that really cares about security and is going to come to me often than to try to uh, incentivize multiple people i think that ra raising that awareness is more powerful coming from a peer inside of the development organization or it organization than it is coming from me or one of the security folks when you talk about informal communication, um, is that, are you talking about like, a, it could be just like a Slack message or email or something like that? I mean, yeah, I mean, there's some, there's some stuff we've tried out with like internal reputation and recognition where you get points and, you know, they, uh, and you can use those points and cash them in for gift cards and things like that. But uh, it, you know, that it's, it's super cultural. Like some teams are really about that. Some teams just aren't, you know, and it's like, you get to the end, you have a certain amount of points to give and we're just like, uh, I'll give them to this guy. Right. Uh, so it's, it, it really depends on what team it is and how they respond to that, that type of culture. So, uh, finding, finding what that is, is, is a game in itself. And, for for me rather than stand up that formal program i think it's just i've found more value in developing a, a few really strong relationships with folks that are really interested in security and you know maybe in a few months or down the road in a year they'll be on the security team you know that's kind of how i look at it how do you how do you like because uh you know we always use the term like security champion or something along those lines which i think is maybe what you're talking about and um how do you identify those people I've been asked that before and I'm like, I don't know. Here, here was my answer. They usually come out of the woodwork themselves because they're like, hey, are, did you know about this? Or have questions that are security related because they're just more interested and more curious. You know, like really people that are super curious about like, hey, is that okay? You know, that's, those are the people that I usually, but I don't know how to like, how to, how to go out and seek those people. That's, that's a tougher question. I'm not sure if you figured out the answer to that. Uh, I mean, it's talk to every developer, right? <laughs> it's like um, you you have to. Oh, I, oh great! You're you're you're, t you're telling all these like introverts that they need to go out and you know talk to all these people. That's what you're saying. No. <laughs> I mean, that's that's exactly it. Like you have to find some way to, way to communicate with those with those folks to find out if that's the case. Like sometimes, yeah. Come on, get get pull requests, right? It's all yeah. through get pull requests. Is there a shell script you can run? Yeah, yeah. Could. It's, uh, it, it just integrates with, with uh, Slack and you know mass spam. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's talking to the, to everybody that, you know, may respond that way. And if, 
and then you're right after that after you've talked to them whether it's submitting a you know a secure if you've submitted a vuln and uh someone responds to why is this important and you answer it and that engages in a conversation you've identified like a potential security champion right but um if you uh if if you're if you're like looking for like you know do they have a certain mark on them to like identify them as a security champion you know you're gonna have to work to find out who's interested in that or not because some folks are naturally interested in security and you'll find them out really early and some folks just don't know that they're interested in security until you've like shown them that for like the first time they've seen xss you know and that still happens people that have just come just out of school and like never seen uh, sql injection or xss we take that stuff for granted um yeah i mean you can that's an easy easy way to do it and then they be they become that person that's like tr constantly trying to find that stuff or or coming to you when that happens and it just yeah they come out of the woodwork i agree with you 100 percent. i do remember at uh living social the when stripe ran their Stripe had a security centric because they had a, say they had CTFs like I think a couple CTFs and they weren't all security centric but there was one that was uh or wasn't app one that was appsec specific is what I'm trying to say and um, by running that CTF there were like I remember seeing de uh, devs writing about them doing that like we didn't put that out that was just it was just online and I remember devs being like you know saying hey this is interesting i'm doing this and then we put it out yeah. we're like yeah please tack on and then from that we found like definitely several um you know security champions we'll say who were just like who defeated the challenges and were like now kind of i guess inspired um but yeah i mean beyond that i hadn't seen any other technique used other than like you said kind of just they come out of the woodwork or you go try and talk to more people and maybe they you find them i guess it's yeah i mean you always another... sorry go ahead Seth. oh no i was gonna say you always have that one group that it's very difficult to find someone on right that you know no one seems to be interested but that that seems to be pretty rare at least in my experience is most of the time there's at least one guy on the team that is that has some inclination and wants to know more or wants to learn more, whether it's the, the guy directly out of school or something, you know, or somebody else. Yeah. I mean, there's a, another good thing. I mean, one of the, the ways to approach it too is just training. I mean, and we, and training, not just for AppSec. So trying to gauge interest, uh, you know, we've done things with the rubber ducky and we invite the whole org. Right. And I think the, the most interesting one was, um, when we, when I went to DerbyCon, I like got in contact with the, the tool guys uh, for all the lock making stuff. I was like, I need like 40 locks um, and, you know, stuff. And I don't want to pay shipping. Can I just, you know, buy these things off you? We bought like a bunch of lock pick sets and a bunch of locks and it did an internal training on lock picking and invited sales and support and, you know, development and all that. And that identified some security champions outside the tech org, you know, and just in sales. And, um, and that's super interesting too, because then they, kind of come to you about physical security stuff because you know that spawns a conversation about tailgating and, and whatever um so those trainings don't have to be like just like these in-depth really technical things about um whatever new vulnerability is is uh, plaguing the industry right now but it can be something really general that goes to the masses that kind of identifies folks in other places and then after that they'll come to you
Yeah, I mean, you bring up a really good point, you know, because we usually focus on the dev side of things just because obviously absolute AppSec, right? But like the um, the sales org is arguably, or the sales piece of the org, that's arguably one of the um, like most at-risk groups, you know, for like going on Wi-Fi that's, you know, n not secure in like their hotel or a coffee shop, uh, getting their laptop stolen because they're traveling a lot. Right. So they're using like, so they're, they're in a lot of public places. They're using the internet in those public places. They may not be as technically savvy, you know, as say an engineer. Um, I mean, most likely they're not as technically savvy, savvy as an engineer. Um, yeah, pretty at risk group. So, that's interesting to hear that that's, I mean, that's gotta be, that, that makes sense. That that's a bit of a, that's a bit of a concern for like, for overarching, you know, in your position for like all of security. Yeah. I mean, if you, anywhere you can find somebody is, is going to be helpful because it, some of that stuff comes from the most unlikely source. If you can get folks that interact with, um, with customers on the website all the time, uh, and that's, you know, for us, that's in sales and support. That's really valuable. Somebody that has eyes on that stuff all the time and notices something or notices like a potential fraud case or something along those lines um, is is also valuable for the application security team. So it's not limiting, um, you know, the communication there to just IT and developers and, and, and going from the, you know, from back to front. Sometimes it's helpful to have those assets elsewhere. Yeah, and I don't know how much of a, you know, I don't, I don't know how much of a selling point security is in most orgs, let alone, I have no clue on in yours, but I always wonder if maybe sales understand security better, if it maybe helps them actually sell, especially if you're, if, what I mean is if it's a, a, like a SaaS product or, you know, obviously something that's a, um, I mean, we are, we always see that in marketing, right? You know, they always talk about their, you know, military grade encryption, yeah, you know, exactly. that's the, you know, but, but in general, like, you know, what Ken's doing on his team there sounds like it could lead to even more discussions around that when they start talking to customers and others is the fact that, Hey, they recognize that security is an issue and that the company is doing something about it. Right. And I think that's not necessarily that the, the primary focus of what he's trying to, you know, of trying to build those security champions, but that could be an unintended side effect or an unintended consequence. Yeah, could right. be. I mean, I don't know. You'd you'd think that it would be that it would be helpful from a you know sales perspective to understand what your company is doing about security, so you can talk intelligibly to it. I mean, how many how many conferences do we go to where you go talk to a sales guy and? They just refer you to the technical people as soon as you get into anything that's even like remotely to do with compliance or anything else. Yeah, I'd be blown away if a salesperson was like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, like here's exactly what we do and here's what our program yeah. looks like internally and here are the reasons why it's secure. And yeah, that would be super interesting. I mean, I would be super impressed for sure. <laughs> I mean, if, if I if I'm able to, you know, get enough knowledge transferred to a salesperson that they can speak to that level, then that's, you know, that's a I can say that a great success. I don't, you know, um, I just think it's helpful to 
get that information out to anybody that'll listen and then gather the information the other way. You know, also important to understand, you know, how sales does their job and, and why, why they find, you know, security controls or whatever cumbersome uh, and, and working to rectify the functional problems as well. That's all, that those are all like brand new challenges to uh, from a, like on the program level is just like you implement all these security tools and, you know, you're, you kind of, you take it for granted sometimes that oh, I understand why this is slow. I understand why this is a, you know, um, uh, affects my performance or whatever. And it, if you don't engage in that conversation, you just get like the worst reputation. Uh, and, and then it becomes almost impossible to, to push anything else. So those trainings and, uh, knowledge transfers really help with that. Yeah, that's a good point. Reputation building is super important. Yeah, it takes one really bad experience with a security control or tool to just like destroy that. So it's, you know, as frequent and often, you know, as, as much as you can speak to folks outside your department. Well, yeah, and people will just go around it. That's what they do. Like this is this is getting in the way of me getting something done. So I'm just going to go around it. So, right. And <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, and, and to your point, Ken, I mean, the one time that you mess up and that you don't do that, right, that lives on forever in those guys or in that team's head. And, you know, two years down the road, you think you've repaired that relationship and it pops up yet again that one time that they weren't able to push out a critical patch because the firewall prevented them or, you know, their SSH key or whatever. Like, you know, it's it's an issue that you constantly have to fight so they understand and they don't blame security. Right. Um, I mean, one of the companies that I worked at was always they were always focused on security being a change agent and being like a help agent to the developers and the DevOps teams rather than the agent of no, right? We're not the gatekeeper and we don't wanna be the gatekeeper. If we say no, it's because compliance is telling us to say no, or it's because management is telling us that this is what we're supposed to adhere to. Um, and shifting that blame a little bit certainly helps, but they, but the second that that stink gets on the security team, it's not gonna come off. Right, and then the other thing is you're destroying the relationship with those other teams. Who you also yeah. have to work with so it's like if you if you shirk everything over to a compliance team or a compliance task or because oh we just have to do it because of this or that uh now when you go to them to like try to push your own agenda or initiatives it's it's like absolutely not man i mean you, you pushed everything on us so it's, it's you threw us under the bus yeah and so it's really easy to fall in that trap of like oh this is just because of compliance which is why you know it goes back to what i was saying before is you know, make that work for you if it's if it's because of compliance like why fight it if you can't fight it then everyone has to be on the same page and like kind of moving forward in the right direction so that has to be explained uh to everybody yeah there's but a that, lot that people... yeah so no sorry, i was gonna just say there's a lot there's a lot of, for those who've never dealt with compliance there's actually a lot of like in a compliance it's not black and white. Like if you get a big spreadsheet of compliance requirements, you can certainly be like, yeah, we've got this covered by X, Y, and Z. It doesn't mean that it's perfect. It doesn't mean that, um, like you can offload responsibility. Like if you're using AWS, you can offload responsibility to certain things to, to AWS because it's a shared security model. You can, um, like, let's say you, they're like, well, you've got a requirement to do um scanning well like you can and i think we've talked about this on one of the episodes before you can certainly just plug in like something like a, if it's a rails op breakman if you want to do uh something that like even just audits libraries in one of your apps 
and put that in the pipeline. That's technically a scan. So there's a lot of like gray area where you can get around, get around. So it's up to you. It's like, I guess what I'm saying is when, when, when I hear you say, Ken, like it's a compliance requirement, it's like, or, or that you're trying to meet both the goal of uh, a requirement, but also do it intelligently and in a way that actually impacts security. I totally get that because, you know, it's, it's such an abstract thing. It's not always just like, do you have this? Okay, cool. Rubber stamped, like box checked. Sometimes it's, it's a little like gray area. Yeah. And the, the industry is it kind of like caters to this, like not understanding how these things work. I can't, I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've gone into like an initial conversation with a vendor. Uh, and we're, we're like, you know, what are, what are compliance requirements have you met? And they're like, oh yeah, we're SOC 2 type, whatever, you know, we've got all SOCs, PCI. We're like, all right, can you send us the evidence of that? And it's just like all of AWS's stuff. Like that's not how it works, you know, but there's just this misconception of how compliance uh, works, especially on uh, small, on the like lower end of, um, uh, vendors or folks that are starting up or people that are in startups, they use this and it works with some folks. And, you know, for us, it's like, we take to heart like what that shared responsibility means and uh and, and really try to to like make sure that our entire organization understands where that, where that comes from so we're not just kind of doing the we're you know bank level secure <laughs> yeah know? at rest we've got uh like our s3 buckets have uh the files encrypted at rest and our 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 DBs are uh, encrypted at rest but they uh, use a default fucking password and they're out on oh, they're open out on the internet but yeah. they're using encryption at rest so something yeah. exactly and and you know you you can you can take the approach of talking around uh, a lot of stuff that you know that involves compliance where you can you know kind of stick to your guns and try, and try to use that to your benefit which is what I keep coming back to yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I, th I think a part of that is a lot of people don't understand. I mean, if you've never been through like a SOC 2 audit or you've never been through a PCI audit, right? Like it's, it's very easy for an organization to take that auditor when they come in and turn their head, right? Just be like, hey, this is what we have. This is what we're going to have you focus on. So instead of these problems that we have over here that we know we have, we're going to focus you on the stuff that we've done right. Um, and I mean, I mean, you know, every one of these breaches that comes out, I'll bet you that those organizations are SOC 2 compliant, that they are PCI compliant. I mean, we know that right. they are, right? Whether that's, you know, the target breach from years ago or any of those, they've all passed PCI compliance. Um, and, you know, it, like even then compliance is the absolute minimum, right? We always say compliance does not equal security just because someone says that they you know, that they use username and passwords and 2FA authentication, that doesn't mean that they use it all across the board with every single technology that they have. It means that they, they may use it for one, you know, one portion or one application and then everything else is, you know, shared passwords. So, right. So, I mean, that's why whatever, you know, whatever your strategy is or whatever, you know, organization you belong to is just making sure that your personal ethics and ideals align with that business. And I think that that's like the number one, uh, I guess, component that you kind of need to consider if you're going to be managing a program, because if, if that doesn't match, then you're going to be fighting a really, really hard battle. Yeah. So, I mean, along those lines, what, what do you kind of see as your biggest challenge in, you know, managing a program versus, you know, managing like a technical, you know, assessment or, you know, being a technician or an engineer. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, I think it, it, it all comes back to, um, kind of, 
evangelizing uh, security in the organization. I think that I'm really lucky that, that folks are open to uh, kind of hearing what I have to say. But I, I, I kind of use the analogy that, you know, especially with development teams that, you know, if all, if all I did every day was Ruby, it'd be really hard to explain that to an auto mechanic. Like I have to work on my own car first, you know? Um, and it's it's like, I think that that is the challenge is, is, is taking the time to understand what other people are going through and how it affects their day to day. Whereas in a technical assessment, I just have to worry about kind of how it affects the application or the architecture or whatever it might be. And then the the results are very limited to kind of what the what the end result effect is. Even if I follow that all the way through the application constellation, you know, it's still like what's where where does it where is the input, where's the output, uh, and how does it affect this like really like what's my scope and how does it affect what's in that scope uh, with the organizational piece? Even those even those application vulnerabilities, it's like how does that affect the organization? Uh, and that's a really big scope. Interesting. So it's not, uh, so are you saying that if like you get a report and, uh, you know, it's like, Hey, uh, you got four highs and three mediums and a couple lows, like maybe some of that doesn't matter as much as like the person that doing the assessment placed the emphasis on. Is that, is that what you're saying? That doesn't sound right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's pretty much exactly what I'm saying, but the, the, uh, yeah, like if somebody comes in and they're like, this is a critical vulnerability, your whole organization is going to get pwned because of this. It's like, where does that application exist? Who does it affect? Who uses it? You know, uh, what other what other applications are are have uh, critical vulnerabilities and how many resources do we have to, to throw at it? And then what's our budget, you know, um, and how many people do we have? If you have one security engineer, it's going to be really hard to solve, you know, all those criticals. So of the criticals, what is the most critical and then everything's on fire so it's it's managing that risk um and understanding why that risk is managed uh in an organization is, is really important um because it's it's not possible to do it all unless you have an unlimited budget and unlimited people or and you know security is expensive man so and let, we either take less money and just you know pro bono or you know, we, uh, we kind of hit the ground running and do what we can and automate what we can and, and build tools and, and work with what we have, um, and, and, you know, approach risk intelligently. Um, and I think that at some point that diverges into compliance and it's like, you walk a really fine line of, you know, what is important in your organization and what's important to you. Uh, and that's, that is like, it's a, it's a slippery slope, but, uh, it's a, it's a challenge and it's a lot of fun uh, to, to kind of approach that with a risk mindset, knowing what it takes to kind of get through the assessment and get through the technical side of it. So like, let's say somebody aspires to be, um, you know, uh, to, to basically run a security program. What, what should they sort of, uh, what, what would help them get to that point? Like what, what things along what milestones along their path to, running a security program, would you recommend things that would have made maybe it, um, I don't know if, if, if there's anything that would have made your job easier if you had done, or if, you know, things that, things that you did that worked out for you, just, you know, for, for, cause, uh, we, we do try to foster people to watch this, uh, podcast who don't necessarily have, um, the experience, you know, the background or experience. And, uh, it would be helpful, I think, to those folks to know that kind of information. 
Sure. I mean, it's you, I think it's stepping outside your comfort zone of uh, the technical aspect of things and, and opening opening up to you know things that we don't talk about, like management and project management and uh, and and reading. Uh, and just trying trying to dive into understanding the component, the the human aspect of uh, of the rest of the organization, um, because when if you're managing a program in order to do it successfully, uh, I I truly believe that you you have to have on some level an understanding of the people that you're working with, uh, and if you approach it with only the the technical mindset or only kind of where you're coming from, and um, then it's going to be very, very difficult to convince them of, of your point of view without having some point of reference to, uh, to, to work with them on. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, going to conferences outside of security. Um, you know, there's, we, we kind of joke about like which security conferences are more technical than others um, and, you know, attending those. But, you know, it, the the AWS conference is like super interesting to go to. Um, if you can find like uh, any any management conferences or, uh, or or working with some of that, even if it's not your your cup of tea, just to kind of under even if you're you come out of it going that is ridiculous. I don't understand why anybody does that. At least you have an understanding of why people approach it that way or how they're going to think. So that way, if somebody comes to you uh, and you're working with a project manager that's like Six Sigma or something. Uh, you can kind of understand what their flow is going to be or how they're going to operate through uh, managing a project that you're involved with. And that's super helpful because you can speak on their terms. It's like, you know, you wouldn't approach designing secure SDLC for Agile without go, like understanding what Agile is. Okay. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Sorry, Seth. Uh, you're yeah, sorry. Okay. No, yeah, I wasn't I sure if you had something. I jumped off for a second. Go ahead. Cool. Yeah, no. Okay. So along those lines of, uh, uh, of kind of, you know, getting, getting exposed to things outside of security and knowing kind of like, um, the breadth and depth of whatever technology is going to be used, getting to meet developers, getting to, to see what sort of the culture looks like, um, how it's shaping out. Um, along those lines, there's other things that I know you wanted to, that you you've dealt with and you you kind of wanted to talk a little bit about um which are like okay you're going to do your first talk you're going to do your first blog um you need to meet some people and network like can you kind of yeah elaborate on you know what it's like to do your first talk tips for that things like that yeah first talks um i was really lucky for first talks because um i had a lot of people around me that were doing talks so um, doing it with somebody, it takes off a lot of pressure. And I remember I was doing one talk, uh, and I think it was when we were doing the meta programming talk. Uh, and it was just like, um, I went in there thinking that, you know, okay, I don't really have to do a lot of work here, but then the other person got really busy and I was like, okay, now I have to do a bunch of this stuff and it just kind of forces you to do it. And then that person also, um, kind of pushes you along and is there for your support. Like when you have that lull in conversation or you just have, you know, that complete stage fright of like, oh man, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but just uh, putting it together. The other thing is don't think that like any topic is too, uh, like rudimentary to, to work on. Uh, the, the, that uh, blogs, the, the series of blogs for Burp, I think I, I put together a while back was like, 
it's i mean it's you could definitely go on you know burp's website and or like just go on youtube and find some intro videos but there's something about you know just putting that out there if somebody reads it great if if not then you know you have like a reference for yourself and i know that we've brought that up on the or that you guys have brought that up on the podcast before is like just get it out into the into the wild and if it's standing up i don't know and a mail server or um you know that going through um a ctf guide by yourself and posting youtube about it uh, those are valuable because you may say it in a way that makes more sense to someone than that original content and maybe you're more entertaining maybe you're less entertaining but you've done it and that gets the you know it gets the, the wets the palate a little bit and gets your your feet wet yeah and it's actually funny you mentioned that about the blogs like the the funny thing so obviously you know uh, i ran engineering at one point and um so i had access to all the stats on blog stuff and for a security company and uh what i always found to be interesting is that there was no way to predict what what was going to be interesting what people were going to want to read i didn't feel like there was any i mean <clears throat> along you know along with what you're saying yeah burp stuff is usually pretty popular because it's super practical and obviously anything that's widely used and practical is uh and easy to consume because like you said you know you can definitely compile information from various sources yourself sometimes it's nice to have somebody else's kind of like condensed version like the cliff notes on it and uh also a good reference as you said to go back but in terms of like what exactly is it's a it's like rolling the dice, honestly. Sometimes like the most random shit that I would not have thought was going to be popular blew up. And other stuff that's deeply technical and you know, maybe even a lengthy post, crickets. It's just yeah. so hard to predict. I mean, it's just like, it can be, that's why, I mean, I think it can be anything. You can, whatever tutorial you've gone through, uh, just write a blog about it you know and see if you and use that as your own reference because somebody will read that you know and that's that's all you really need like with that with the burp stuff it was i mean it was just like i think it was just like uh, how to like set scope and burp was it basically like the the essentials of that but i mean that got so many hits and it's you know i'm like but this is a document like available online but you know for whatever reason that was popular one yeah I'm, again it's hard it's hard to predict but i mean that's why i mean hell seth and i doing this podcast is pretty much like it's not we just enjoy doing it it's not because like you know we we're hoping to get a, a bunch of views and make i mean make money off it we're just i mean it's going to be a small viewer base i'm sure forever and that, that's fine like we just do it for fun and i think there's some value to just doing stuff that's just fun anyways even if it's not like even if it's not like it's gonna, you know, help your career or whatever, you know, like it, there, there is always value in doing something that's just you're you're passionate about it, you enjoy it, you know. If you find it cool, someone else is gonna like feel the same way about it. You know, it might be one other yeah. person, but yeah, somebody. <laughs> yeah, someone else is on the same boat, and they're like, I wish that there was a guide, or I wish that there was a post about this. It, it doesn't have to be like this new tool that you've created and. You know all these great things and I, that's all awesome and fun but sometimes it's like too technical for some folks and they just want you know some content and if that's what you need to just get started because you're confident about it then that's where you start 
Yeah. And like, I can honestly say we've met through this podcast, Seth, like a few people now that are like, we didn't, I mean, more than a few people that we didn't, we didn't have any connection to before. We didn't know, like now we know some people that, that we didn't have, we've got additional conversations and additional, just people that we can connect with doing AppSec, which is like, just cause we decided to, Hey, flip on some cameras, turn on YouTube live and start doing a podcast. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty interesting to actually see how that how it happens and how those networks grow, right? I mean, you think about um, like Stack Overflow, right? And how many of those questions are redundant? You know, it's the same error message and 50, 50 people have had it, and yet you still have to dig through 20 of them to figure out your specific situation. And that, that's exactly what I think you're trying to say, Ken, is just because you've approached it in one way, it's going to speak to someone in that same way. Whereas there may be 99 people that have a similar problem or maybe not aren't as interested in it. Um, or you may hit on a specific way that you talk about it. That's very generic and very helpful for other people. So, so it's helpful for you. It's helpful for them. I think uh, a, a really good example of those is like all of the digital ocean tutorials for like simple stuff, like standing up elk or, you know, standing up a mail server, uh, those like the articles for that have been written to death. And, uh, but they kind of take the approach of like, we know it's been written to death, but we're going to do it better. And so there's some little odds and ends in there that, you know, make that process a lot easier for, uh, for that kind of stuff. And the same approach can be taken with AppSec. I mean, what is missing out of the tutorial that you went? Like, what was that hurdle that you were like, man, you know, that was weird. Uh, I had to do this other step to get to this point. You know, that is, then your article is, is, you know, just that much better. Writing fucking burp extensions was that for me. <laughs> Seriously. Like I just, I mean, I, I still have videos on YouTube that I made because like, that was the, the thing is like, there was the, uh, online documentation, but, um, <laughs> all right, that was hard to figure out. So like, I think when you take something like that and you make it user-friendly and you make it easy for someone to pick up, like it's, you know, that's super beneficial. Even if the article is just like, Hey, follow all of this, but here are all the things you need to do as well. <laughs> you know, I mean, that would be just as helpful if you're not a verbose person. So beyond like, uh, doing, you know, doing blogging, doing speaking, going to conferences that are outside of security. Um, are there any, you know, other kind of like prerequisites, that you should and milestones you should hit along your way that you can think of to say running a security program for someone who's kind of new to all this. Um, I think if, if you can, if you have the opportunity to, to run a small team, um, that's super helpful too, because it's really just a, the, the scope just gets a little bit bigger each time. Uh, I think that a really good opportunity that I had uh, early on in consulting was kind of just like Seth, you were mentioning some of this as well, being able to to run teams that you're not like necessarily invested in, like you kind of have a lot of say in what, what secure, like where security goes when you're a consultant and you have the opportunity to do the technical side and the management side um, all at one time as a consultant. So if you treat that as kind of a uh, kind of a, um, an intro to managing a team to see if you like it. Like that's a really good opportunity. Uh, if it's, you know, a gig where folks are trying to 
you know, ramp up a better secure SDLC or uh, if you have the opportunity to do training for a group or something like that, those are really good opportunities to kind of touch on some of the responsibilities you'll face um, running any program, whether that's uh, security or application security specifically or information security specifically. Awesome. Well, I know we're hitting uh, about an hour here. Um, so uh, is there anything that you wanted to, um, are you, well, we always ask folks that join, you know, Hey, are you, is there anything that you're going to release soon? Is there any speaking or anywhere you're speaking, any conferences you're going to be attending anywhere people can interact with you? Uh, just anything that you have coming up that you want to talk about? Um, most of my projects right now are internal. So, uh, but, uh, I'm hoping to, to get some stuff out on AWS. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, you can follow me or interact with me on Twitter at Rolotnik, um, and inside of the absolute AppSec chat, uh, you know, I'm usually there during the session. So definitely like the troll there. <laughs> we didn't notice that at all. No, yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, it's, uh, you usually have actually good questions in there too. So that's helpful. Um, and, uh, um, so yeah, he's, uh, so it's R E L O T N E K. That's how is, uh, you spell that for his, uh, Twitter. I should just put it on here. I just put it on the video. Um, <clears throat> cool. Flash up there. <laughs> What'd you say? I said, it's going to flash up there like a banner. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's what we'll know. do. What what kind of what kind of uh, yeah what kind of podcast do you think this is right? You know, <laughs> our post processing is is very highly technical. There you go. Yeah, and we're not exactly <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah we're uh, we're not exactly highly invested in the editing part of any of this. So, but um, Seth, anything you? I mean, I know we had a bunch of news that we you know we're not gonna get to tonight. Um, but was there anything that you wanted to mention? Um, oh, you know what, actually there's some, before, before you say anything, I, there's something I wanted to mention was that, um, so we, um, everybody knows we're doing the, well, everybody that's watching this podcast, uh, routinely and has seen the last few episodes knows that we're doing, um, we're doing training at AppSec USA on how to perform effective and efficient, um, code reviews. Uh, but, we, uh, uh, OWASP Melbourne, uh, Australia reached out to us. They asked us to go to uh, Melbourne in October, the week after um, AppSec USA. So we will be at AppSec Day in Melbourne, Australia, uh, doing training, possibly speaking, some fun stuff. So um, did want to mention that, yeah, we'll be out and out there in October, late October. So uh, I think like October 19th, maybe 20th, something like that. Um, yeah. Anything else, Seth? Um, no, I don't necessarily think so. Right. Uh, you know, I, I think, um, outside of we are going, or I, I will be at, uh, DEF CON, uh, during like Vegas time period. If people are around, hit me up, you know, would, would love to see people, um, you know, outside of that, really, really AppSec USA and then AppSec days in Australia are the kind of the new, or the two big ones. Um, there may be Cactus Con and some others thrown in there. Uh, yeah, fingers on crossed on Cactus Con. There you go. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I mean, realistically, you know, reach out, let us know. I mean, we can do uh, an on-site podcast or something like that if somebody's interested. 
or just wants to go, you know, catch a drink and talk AppSec or security in general, we'd be happy to do that. Awesome. I did want to, I did want to shout out to Kevin Cody. I did after uh, our whole like, uh, JWT, uh, uh, yeah, I bought the shirt. So, um, yeah, now, I just said, I want you. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. true. It was weird. Yeah, it's weird. No, it's uh, Randall. I don't know how to say his last name. Randall Diggs from o Okta, um, who did the uh, YJWTs suck a session tokens. If, for those who don't know, like that's that's where the shirt I want you to stop using JWT JWTs comes from. But anyways, just want to put throw that out there for Kevin Cody. Yeah, cool. Well, uh, you know, Ken, thanks for coming on. Right, uh, and you know, hopefully we'll have you back on sometime and. You, know, you you can continue the the story, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's been a blast. All right. Well, we appreciate it. Uh, thanks everyone who who watched. We'll be back uh, next Tuesday with Jason with Jason White. Uh, so yep. Jason White will be joining us next week. I look forward to that. And um, at Misfire on Twitter. Um, cool. Well, uh, thanks. Thanks, thanks everybody. We'll talk soon. Bye.